This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? Love. Oh, and Love, he's got a real chance now. Peter and Love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin. Unknown goal from Ruddock. Ball by break here for Kiwabia. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce scores. Goal leg. Hit leg. Hit leg over the top. It's it now. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, and he has it. No. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? I'm Chris Skoll. Joining me, as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello, listeners. And the man who may or may not have flown Yuri Geller around Wembley in a helicopter. Who knows? Leave me out of it. It's Michael Mudd. Definitely didn't, because it didn't happen. Hello. <laughs> there was only one person who used to fly a helicopter in the 90s. That was Noel Edmonds. And uh, Elton John at Live Aid. Do you remember, have you ever heard this story that Elton John, when the helicopter landed at Live Aid, he massively delayed proceedings because he wanted the, the chopper to turn off before he left in case it blew his toupee off? No. <laughs> there you go. There's um, really gossip. But I think Noel Edmonds, uh, this is another Live Aid helicopter story. I mean, why not? <laughs> you don't want that context every day in your career. <laughs> I think Noel Edmonds, you know Phil Collins? Um, <laughs> yeah, I've heard this rumour. He, play, he played both Live Aids. He's the only person that played both Live Aids because he went on Concord from London to Philadelphia and uh, performed drums with Led Zeppelin at one of them, I can't remember which. A performance that was apparently so bad that to this day Led Zeppelin have not allowed the footage to be used ever again. Yeah. It's, it's, a, re- it's a really rich and entertaining uh, Google, that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. They all say that. But Phil Collins was taken to whatever airport it would be, Heathrow or whatever, in Noel Edmonds' helicopter. 
Flown by Noel Edmonds. <laughs> yeah, flown by Noel Edmonds to, oh, the, wow. to the airport. Can I just say that, you know, the American Live Aid, when I've seen, I, for me, that doesn't exist within the canon of Live Aid. It's like the third Home Alone film for me. <laughs> it's like, I don't, got, yeah, the American Live Aid, I'm like, it's like the American Live Aid sing, Christmas single. I'm like, it's not part of the official Live yeah, Aid canon. I, I couldn't tell you, I mean, I could hazard a guess, but I couldn't confidently tell you who's play who played at the American Live Aid. You could guess that the big American stars, but was there a performance equivalent to I suppose Queen or U2 were the big ones, weren't they? Well, the one I saw was Simple Minds. Simple Minds played. And I was like, oh really? Was Simple Minds big enough? But also it's a shab when you look at the the footage of the American Live Aid, it's like there's people all around the back of the stage. Like it doesn't seem to be like the, the manager of Simple Minds is like just stood behind the drummer. You're like, this is a shambles. It looks like Woodstock. And then you look at like <laughs> you look at Live Aid in London. It's like this is professional. Like the whole set was on a wheel. Anyway, uh, we should say for this series, it's an 80s music podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're interviewing today um, John Taylor from Duran Duran. <laughs> um, but no, uh, hello and welcome to Series 8 proper. It's episode two, but the first one's always a bit of a, what are they call in the trade a soft launch. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, a bit, a bit of pre-season training, just getting our eye in. Yeah, exactly. And we are sharp, as you've heard from the last three and a half minutes. Um, it's actually my birthday today. Very exciting. I'm Happy 38. Birthday. Thank you. Anyway, um, so do you know what? Should we just get on with the 90s o'clock news? From the headquarters of ITN, News at 10 with Chris Scull. Our top stories today. Chris Bart Williams solves the mystery of his small feet. And also, Chris Bart Williams reveals whether or not he tied his shoelaces up. Oh, wow. So, um, friend of the show, Matt Ford, had Chris Bart Williams on his uh, Nottingham Forest podcast. Do check it out. It's called Reservoir Red Dogs. He had Chris Bart Williams. Let's be honest. If you don't support Nottingham Forest, is anyone checking it out? (laughs) (laughs) As much as I love Matt Ford's. Football-based output. I don't know. Have you ever listened to a different club's podcast? No. No. Only for research, but never out of choice. (laughs) Research ahead of a game for Manchester United or research for this? Yeah, yeah. Do you not know I'm Manchester United Chief Scout? (laughs) Most of my info from podcasts about the opposing team. Those guys really know their stuff. When I used to do a podcast just about West Ham, I would get emails from fans of other club going, I don't know why, but I listen to this podcast. You're like, are you mad? It's like when we get people who listen to this that aren't aware of the 90s football, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose, you know. Same. But same. There we go. Um, do you want to hear what Chris Bart Williams said after this line of questioning from Matt Ford? Oh, yeah. Have we got a clip? Yeah, here we go. Chris, I've got to ask you about your boots. Firstly, is it true you used to play with your laces undone? Correct. Why? <laughs> because uh, the top of my, the top where you tie it, used to, I used to get a lot of pain there. So when I found that you could tie it without coming off, I was good to go. Now, I got threatened by numerous managers that if it came off, there was going to be trouble. And ironically, no one ever stood at the back of my heels for it to come off. That was number one. And two, I guess... I had, I had two pairs of socks, so it just never came off. Right. Can we stop like that? So he's running around without his laces done. Yeah, it never came in off. In a professional football. And they never came off. And he's swinging his leg at a ball. 
<laughs> what if um what if shoelaces are just a construction? They're a lie. <laughs> We've all been gamed. This is like the Matrix. You don't yeah. need shoelaces, guys. Has he cut his laces short so that he couldn't trip over them in that sense? And then he's put on two pairs of socks to just keep his shoes on. With, like, surface tension or what? The ramifications of that little interview are mind-blowing. Just bin your shoelaces. You don't need them. But I've worn shoes. Oh, I don't show off. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> And I've worn shoes, and you do need to do it your shoelaces. Chris Bart Williams says his shoes don't come off. I don't know what more evidence you need. Is You're he wrong. running at such pace that they're kind of kept on by kind of... Um... Like that sort of, what is it, like centrifugal kind of yes. movement, where like <laughs> physically it's impossible <laughs> if you run as quick as he does. Or he's probably got, perhaps he's got odd-shaped feet, so that there yeah. is a width-to-length width ratio that means that the boot stays on because of the yes. side... Uh, well, yes. well, you know, Christopher Williams has one extra little toe that pokes out, and so all his boots are custom. And it's the little that that extra little toe oh, that's keeping the boot on. on. It hooks on <laughs> like, like a rivet. A rivet. Um, do you want to know whether Chris Bart Williams has small feet or not? Yeah, well, it, I mean, it would be absurd if he did at this stage. <laughs> okay, here we go. Next question. And is it true your boot size was size five? It was size six and a half. Because <laughs> that seems quite small. It's very small. I'm a seven. There you go. There you go. I'm talking after that. Six and a half. Six and a half. That's small. I'm surprised. Yeah. That's that's the same size as my girlfriend's feet. And how tall is she? <laughs> is your girlfriend Chris Bart Williams? <laughs> Sorry, I've not mentioned that before. <laughs> could, could have solved this mystery three and a half years ago. <laughs> so he has got small feet. We've finally established that. Can I ask you before the next podcast, Chris, yeah. as the person that believes this, uh, to A, see whether you could move a ball with your mind, and B, <laughs> could you go and run around the park kicking a ball without your laces done up and see how it goes? And could you record yourself chatting about how it's going as you do it? And we'll see <laughs> in the next podcast how it's gone. Okay, fine. I'll t- I'm going to make a note of that. Yeah. Mission what? accepted. Yeah, say to Sophie, I'm really sorry, I can't do bedtime. You're going to have to put our daughter to bed. <laughs> Obviously, I'd love to sit Chris Bart Williams down and go through the question again. Is he wearing shoes that are six and a half and his feet are six and a half? I feel like if he's having to wear two pairs of socks to make this work, he should just go down a size of yeah. shoes. Surely that's the better option. Because they'll be cheaper, because I think he's only one size away from not having to pay VAT. Yeah, that's a dream. <laughs> <laughs> right, do you want the electronic post bag? Let's go. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail. Well, I know we've just had the jingle for the Electronic Postbag, but can we follow it uh, with the jingle for Strange Hill, please? Okay, I vividly remember thinking this myself, but I didn't fall for it, but I did think about this. This is from Daniel McGee. Hello chaps. For about a year in the late 90s I kept hearing about the gifted Noel Williams. (laughs) (laughs) And assumed that the prefix that commentators and goals roundup shows had given him meant that he was the next big thing. One to keep an eye on. So that's what I did. Waiting for Watford to come on in the goals roundup to see how the future England star got on that weekend. After quite a few months of this, I did think it was odd that he kept being referred to as gifted 
as there were seemingly much better players in the division. Maybe the goals roundup man was a Watford fan, I thought. Even seeing Noel Williams on his back wasn't enough for the penny to drop in my 11-year-old mind. I figured he just liked being full-named and had asked the kit man for extra letters. It wasn't until a few more months later that I mentioned this player to my dad, to which he replied, Sorry, what did you say? I elaborated. You know, that that Watford striker, the gifted Noel Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Cue hysterical laugh from my dad, an explanation that his name was Gifton Noel Williams. And that he wasn't particularly gifted. Anywho, uh, whenever he popped up on screen again, I got a, ah, there's that gifted Noel Williams. He looks a real player for my dad. Um, I had that as well with gifted Noel Williams. Did you, do you remember? Did you have that? Yeah, it is a bizarre, it's a weird name, isn't it? There's something about the amount of like syllables in it. It just blows my mind. Yes. I would also file gifted Noel Williams in the same file of as Jan Vanagor of Hesselink. I know that's a bit naughty, but oh, do you yeah. that? Yeah, Jan van Hennegor, what was it? <laughs> Jan, I thought it was it Jan Venegor of Hesselink. Yeah. Just just a name where you're like, if you ever saw it come up on Championship Manager, you'd be like, is this a mistake? Well, I wonder whether um, I wonder if anyone has ever made the same mistake with um, Angel Di Maria, where they're just like, oh, perhaps he's just a really lovely and well-behaved <laughs> man, that, that Angel Di Maria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And if, if oh. Someone's gonna, someone's gonna message in and go, it's, it's Angel. But come <laughs> yeah, on. come on. Can I say just quickly on Jan Vinegar of Hesselink? You know, like in Championship Manager, like you could never, you you'd, in your mind, you would imagine what these players look like because you couldn't see them. So, like uh, yeah. uh, Ibrahim Bakayoko, you'd have no idea what he looked like, but you'd have a rough idea, for example, or Nicholas Alexanderson. Yeah, you, you kind of imagine yeah. with Jan Vinegar of Hesselink. In my mind, he always looked like Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters Two. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that, it's not about that name. It's, yeah. It sounds a bit like Vigo the Carpathian. And so in yeah. my head, he was the baddie from Ghostbusters 2. Email in. What? How did you picture championship manager players? Also, on on Jan Vanegor, whatever he is, poshest named footballers, Plymouth in the 70s and 80s had a player called Forbes Philipson Masters. <laughs> sounds like a university <laughs> challenge team. Yeah. I don't know if he was any good, Forbes, Phillips and Masters, but I wonder whether he did come from from good stock, as they would say. (laughs) So is Forbes his first name? Yeah, Forbes, Phillips, and then Phillips and Masters is is, um, hyphenated. He must have had an absolute nightmare in the dressing room. Remember um, another one as well? I don't even know how you pronounce his surname. Like, is it Bicentu Lizarazu? Yeah, Bicente Lizarazu, yeah. Bicente Lizarazu, like the left back. I like I, in my head. I thought that's really posh. I bet he's really. Did posh. you? And almost like I was like, is that a stage name? It's almost too good a name. Lisa Azu. I I I, I, I often split that into two in my head as Lisa Azu. Lisa Azu could easily be nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, and that was the first you heard of her. <laughs> and the last. <laughs> and the last. <laughs> Do you remember the year Lisa Azu won the Mercury Music Prize? <laughs> Favourite names of Favourite 90s, names footballers. 90s footballers. One more Strange Vicente. Hill. Uh, this gets us into, uh, into do I remember this right as well, because they're both from uh, Andrew Lee's. His Strange Hill. Uh, it was widely accepted in the uh, small Herefordshire village I grew up in in the 90s that Rush, as in Rush Keepers, was an abbreviation of Russian. This was fact. We would often very formally announce Russian Keepers today before an all-day park session started. There was about 10 regulars who played, and I cannot recall it ever being questioned. We all knew that in Russia, the keepers played an expansive role. 
that would shame the so-called sweeper-keepers of today, major dribbles popping up in the box, etc. We avidly watched Euro 96 and completely failed to notice the very normal role the Russian keeper played. I used to think it came from Ian Rush. I genuinely believed. Why? Yeah, Why? Because he was called Rush. It's that wrong too. <laughs> what do you yeah, mean? but I just thought like Ian Rush was like the most famous footballer at the time. So the fact they were called Rush, I just thought it was like your keeper turns into Ian Rush or something. I don't know. Did I you don't ever know play, where... like talking of sort of strange and funny rules, I just remember the thing we used to play, like Rush Keepers, but it was called Spider Keepers. Yes, Spider, where anyone could be in goal. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, anyone could of... be in goal? So basically, like the whole team would attack. Whoever was around the goal at that point, if someone took a shot, you could anyone could just handle it basically to stop. The oh goal. wow, that's not that wouldn't be a yeah, good rule good in professional point. football. I was just thinking with that, it would just lead to less goals. <laughs> that worked. What was, what was rush rush keeper meant? You could just come out beyond your area, right? So but I mean, then that's like, a normal real football has rush yeah, keepers. What is rush keepers? Yeah. I just well, it was you... it was it was normally it was more beneficial when you were playing like five or six aside. I think on a big pitch, yeah. there's yeah, no yeah, real yeah. benefit. But if you're playing like in a cage on five aside, your keeper being able to bring the ball out so that you draw a man towards you, it means you've overloaded the opposition. You've got you've got a pass on basically. I'm sorry, I didn't realize this was the athletic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Michael, I think the rule on rush keepers is. You'd shout rush keeper and then someone else would sub into the goal for you. No, that's that's sort of that's a version of spider keepers. Uh, oh, my that... understanding was that rush keepers the keeper was always the keeper. It just means he could come out of the area with the ball, which obviously is allowed in eleven aside, but you, you I think you're very put... rarely in your local park playing eleven on eleven. Just I think we should do a Twitter po- I think we should do a Twitter poll and we'll put up some descriptions of what we think rush keepers is. Is it just a keeper being allowed out? Is it someone having to sub in for them? We'll just we'll just start a Twitter thread. We'll start a thread somewhere on the chat room and get to the bottom of this. So, guys, you know we've previously discussed Gary Mabbott's appearance on the Queen's Nose. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jack Stanley writes, I'm sure it's been brought to your attention that Gary Mabbott appeared in the 90s kids show The Queen's Nose. Correct. What is bugging me, though, is what I remember the storyline. I can't remember uh, the character's name, but I'll do my best. The main character has a coin that grants wishes. Either of you want to fill us in on the name of the character? Oh, man. Harmony. Um, In this episode, she has only one wish left and has a choice whether to cure her relative of an illness or for her friend to play football with Gary Mabbott. Imagine the shock when a full Kit Mabbott shows up for a kickabout. (laughs) Is that the storyline? Her friend has an illness... And the other option is another friend wants to play football with Gary Mabber. And Jack Stanley is claiming that the episode ends with Harmony choosing the Gary Mabbott option. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. Simply not true. Surely. It's originally based on a book, The Queen's Nose. Um, So if I don't know whether this is a a speculative episode or whether... um, or whether it's part of the book series that they've... I doubt Gary Mabbott was the first name they asked, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, I'd love to get to the bottom of this. If anyone knows whether the episode revolves around someone being left ill in a hospital bed, or however, because someone else wants to play football with Gary Mabbott, I'd always presumed it was like a kid that's losing a football match and wants to win and wishes for a footballer when Gary Mabbott shows up. Yeah. Gary Mabbott is such a weird booking when you think about it. It's one of those where it's like it's someone who worked on the show must have known Gary Mabbott. Yes. You're not you're not 
picking up the phone but going, someone get me Gary Mabbott. It can't be. It can't <laughs> be. Um, one more very quick one for Michael. This is from Mike Beardsworth, not the only person that emailed in about this. Michael's very quick no to the question, I don't know if you remember Dennis Bailey, didn't convince me. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> Oh, has he chipped Peter's Michael? Bailey scored a hat-trick at Old Trafford in a 4-1 win for QPR on the 1st of January 1992. Ooh. He's memorable as the last opposition player to score a league hat-trick there. Can you name the only opposition player to score a league hat-trick there outside of the league since then? Probably Ronaldo. Yes, it was Ronaldo. But not only that, but it was New Year's Day and the match was live on ITV. Mike adds, I find it difficult to believe that Michael wasn't watching. <laughs> I watched this game. I vividly remember. This is a quite a big game from the annals of football because this would have been the last year of Division One, and I remember I didn't know it was Dennis Paley had scored the hat trick, but I knew a play. I knew QPR had won four one at Man U, and it was quite a big deal. Do you remember this at all, Michael? I have a vague memory of the game, but I I couldn't have told you for love or money who had scored that hat trick, or if anyone had indeed scored a hat trick. Fair enough. Fair enough, Michael. Um, I believe you. Can I say like uh, ITV? Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a BBC man when it comes to World Cups and FA Cup. Like, if there's a choice, I, I will always watch the BBC. Like and for, but for me, ITV, like ITV, yeah, bit of Champions League on Tuesday night. That 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 works for me. But one thing that's missing, I think, is like the ITV Sunday lunchtime kickoff. Like, I don't know what New, New Year's Day, but there is a place in my heart for ITV yeah. showing live football on a Sunday lunchtime. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. One of the things that I really, really hope they don't keep from coronavirus is the insane kickoff. You know, the, the insane kickoff times now is is heartbreaking for me as a traditionalist. I didn't vote Brexit so that we could kick off at eight pm on a Sunday <laughs> night, mate. Voted to keep those bloody foreigners out, didn't you? <laughs> I um, I have mixed feelings about the sort of football schedule for the last year because I've, I've I probably haven't watched as much football in such a long time but i'm so disengaged with it it's basically become like elevator music it's kind of background wallpaper uh, unless it's a manchester united game but i'm watching you know when there's five games on in the day i'm watching five games and sometimes i'm watching like german football and italian football in the gaps really yeah yeah Yeah, i'm emotionally dead to it it it's controversial but i yeah but we are fourth that's the reason (laughs) (laughs) right let's bring on Let's bring on our guest, Chris. Yes, I mean, I love, I love like, the texture of story you get when you meet people from different clubs and different backgrounds, uh, and you know, fans who follow like so-called smaller clubs. But what what was fascinating about this interview about to hear is that we're about to hear from a Swiss player, a really you know accomplished Swiss player, decorated, decorated, who came to England with a fresh pair of eyes in the mid nineties and just walks into that Jerry Francis led dressing room and was exposed to what he perceived to be rank levels of unprofessionalism. I, I would describe this as peak quickly Kevin in its content. Yes. It's absolutely, as an interviewee, I would say Ramon Vega is absolutely in our wheelhouse. <laughs> and he knew what we wanted and he absolutely provided it in spades. <laughs> Let's get into it. Without further ado, here he is, the man himself, Ramon Vega.
Today's guest is a cult icon of 90s football and beyond, fluent in five languages, a cultured Swiss defender with 23 caps for his country and spells at Grasshopper, Cagliari, Spurs and a treble winning time with Celtic. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, Ramon Vega. How you doing, Ramon? Very well, guys. How are you guys doing? Great. Very good. Good. I'm still in shock at how... Chris pronounced Cagliari, but we'll have to move on from that. Yeah, well, <laughs> was that, I, was I just that wanted wrong? to say. I just wanted to say, Mr. Cagliari, either way he said it. But anyway, I'm glad to be on the show, guys. And we said before the recording, um, you said any guide, and we said to focus on the kind of unprofessional elements of the '90s, and you said that's your words were 99 percent of it was unprofessional. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be honest, you yes, frankly, that well, I I just give you a story when I, I was playing in this area in Italy as you say Cagliari okay <laughs> um, uh, and there you know in Serie A in the 90s you might know it's definitely with, without a doubt the best league in the world yeah. the best players in the planet were playing there from the Brazilian Ronaldo Batistuta Zidane you name it you know uh, were on there so when I joined Spurs uh, in 96-97 in, in uh, it was an enormous shock in the system to the powers between how professional was in the Serie A compared was in England. That was like just a joke, to be honest with you. Uh, there was not even a, a gym, let's call it, to exercise. I remember the first two days arriving at the training ground, the Fiso giving me a David Lloyd card. And I was like, what, <laughs> what is David? First of all, I was foreign. I no clue. And this is... Swiss guy coming to England, <laughs> joining the club. <laughs> the physio, yeah, listen, here's your David Lloyd card. And he said, first of all, I had no clue with David Lloyd card. Of course, I know now. Uh, well, there's a gym around the corner, around Chickwell, you know, in Essex there, yeah. you know, that was a David Lloyd centre. And he said, what is David Lloyd? So I have to talk to all the players. Where, where is this David Lloyd? That's the gym. What do you mean, the gym? And we haven't got a gym here in the training ground. No, no, it's about, yeah, about 5K or something with the car and everything else. So I go to this David Lowe's. It's a completely public gym. You have to go and you train on yourself. And I say, <laughs> what the heck is that? So from that point of view, from having a training coach, uh, uh, a fitness coach in Italy, uh, dietitians with there on a daily base, the vitamins, everything, to none of that. Wow. David, David Lloyd's car. Go train yourself. Make sure you're fit on a Sunday. Pretty much, that's... How yeah. often were you going to that gym with people? And were there people in that gym going... I never... I never, I never... I never... I went about once. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I used to go to that gym, the David Lloyd in Chigwell. I yeah, used to go that, to that, that gym. This is the one where... I never only... saw you there. <laughs> but that's why... <laughs> I was more in the steamer or the sauna, to be honest, here to use it. It was a good steam. They did have uh, a good steamer. In yeah, there, yeah, that's all the thing. But I have never used it. And it was like, for me, a completely different world. And either that, the whole system, the way you've been educated as a first footballer in Switzerland is already they were already well educated in terms of you have to look after your diet to, to fitness and you have to fitness coach train you and educate you in Italy it's even more professional now to completely non-assistant nothing been helping you it's pretty much you have to do your own program and uh, yeah that was uh, a new experience let's say that way that's amazing did you say to any other players this is madness or was it ever well they, they didn't know anything else that's what they've been yeah. pretty much used to so for them, 
me training before a training session, half an hour, an hour before, go for a run and everything else. This is, you know, Rum, are you crazy? Are you mad? What are you doing? It's a war. I have to warm up. <laughs> for them, it's like, and I just, this is another part from sort of culture point of view, you know, when I arrived and they say, oh, I was in Italy, 10 o'clock was playing the training session, okay? So in Italy, you go already about eight, quarter past eight, you're already there. You start to get maybe warm up, stretching session, or uh, massage, and all that stuff. Okay. So when I joined Spurs, the first couple of weeks, I was like eight o'clock there. The only one, nobody there. Not even the physio <laughs> was there. I was like, this is impossible. In two hours, we have training session. Nothing is here. <laughs> By around eight thirty, nine o'clock, maybe those physio slowly just slowly walking into it, you know, good morning kind of scenario. He said, listen, it's nine o'clock and now I've got session. No players. Half past nine. No players. Quarter to, uh, to ten. First player comes in with a cup of tea and a biscuit. Hola, mate. All right. Are you okay today? And I said, we're 50 minutes. We need to be on, on, the, on the thing. Well, no, bro. I've got my boots on. We go out. That was my kind of first two weeks introduction in England football. Wow. You. So it, it was not, of course, not all of them, but pretty much yeah. kind of that was uh, my introduction. And so, goodness me, I made the club the first one. <laughs> and the first one actually arrived from this player, quarter to 10 before 50 <laughs> minutes before the, for the training session. And, and that's hence the fitness of them were very limited, obviously. Yeah. As you can see, in the first half, they were full fit by the second half on a, on a game, you can immediately the whole level of fitness went down and then that's where you're actually using also the game. But uh, it has, of course, improved now, you know? But yes. That was yeah. the 90s arriving to England, 95, it, 96. Do you know what? It's a shame it's improved. It was better then, Ramon. It was better. It was more fun. We'll, we'll come to Spurs, but yeah, let, let's go back to the start of your career. Let's, yeah. Well, let, do you know what? We always like to start with a quick quiz question, hmm. which is... Um, just to uh, see whether you've been paying attention to your career, we like to ask all our footballer guests, can you name the shirt sponsors you've had throughout your career? All the... So, all the so Grasshoppers, Cagliari, yeah. Spurs, and then Celtic. We won't make you do Watford. Wow. Grasshoppers, uh, right. We had Nissan. Yes. We've got various. We had various ones. Nissan. We had then... Bertorelli, yes, Italian, Ber yeah, Ber Beretta, was Ber it Beretta, yeah, Beretta, yeah. yeah, the Zalami producer, yeah, exactly, yeah. in Italy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then well, Cali Cali oh gosh, 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 uh, Cali was Italian cheese, goodness me, that is correct, an Italian cheese, yes. Pecorino, Pecorino, something like that, yes, yes. Wow. Pecorino Sardo, Sardo was fantastic by the way uh, just did you get know. free cheese oh of course my swiss cheese free cheese mate. <laughs> <laughs> but this one was an italian one a very nice one from sardinia beautiful place by the way just to let you know i really enjoy that um so pecorino that was one that and then Colliery. spurs spurs uh, was hewlett packet correct yeah i think hewlett packet yeah, yeah and then Celtic. i think it was only hewlett packet that I played, and then Celtic. Oh goodness me! 
NTL, NTL. Wow, yes. NTL, you know something like that. Yeah. This might be the, the first full house a footballer's ever got. Congratulations on yeah. that. Some tough ones. Have you kept all your shirts and stuff like that? Are you one of those people? Or? Of course. That's why I knew the sponsorship. <laughs> 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 the hanging, not above me, but in the next room, you know? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, all the kind of uh, great shirts, you know, from the 90s. As I say, some unbelievable players uh, play against, especially in Italy, you know, the, the Brazilian Ronaldo, the Batistuta, the Zidane, Boban, Savicevic. Oh, Roberto Baccio. Playing your position each week, you're yeah. the one manned with dealing with this legend, best strikers, basically. Best, best strikers on the planet, week in, week out in Italy. There's, there was not one weekend you can have a breather. You have, really, every, every team in the Serie A at that time had at least one top striker in their team, yeah. if not two. Yeah. If you play against Inter Milan or Milan or AC Milan or Juventus, there's not even a question mark. They were just absolutely the top players on the planet. And does that excite you, or do you go, when you come to the Premier League, you're like, oh, thank God for that? For me, listen, for me, I said centre-half, because, you know, as you know, defenders, the best defenders at the time was in the Serie A. And coming as a centre-half, be playing in the best league in the world, it was a major honour. It was the first excitement, the most very nervous. You suddenly, the ones you actually watch on TV, you suddenly have to mark on the weekend yeah. it's an amazing experience and amazing I still remember some zero walking out and then you've got some Brazilian Ronaldo next to you you've got Robbie Baccio next to you and it's a goodness me actually a year ago I just watched them on TV and I'm actually next to them and yeah and the quality the sheer quality and respect you have for this player uh, as a player as a professional it's 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 enormous what I think maybe the day is not that much respect anymore between the players. That's mm. my that's my view. You know, I think in the nineties it was, I think from character points, there are more men than now. But the attitude in terms towards the game, and I think the game was also much nicer to watch. Yeah, that's my view. Anyway. No, you're on the right podcast if that's your view, Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> so you started you started out at Grasshopper Zurich, what, mm-hmm. but when you're growing up in Switzerland, what kind of level were you compared to your peers? Because you hear about players when they're growing up, they were just so much better than everyone they were playing with. It's a good question because you don't see yourself always better than other ones. You just feel you're better than them. You know, you you can't see it because somebody else has to charge on you if you're better than other ones. You know, and you can't have that arrogance and. Well, you need to have certain arrogance to be a professional because uh, that's the way it works in the industry. But you see it in, in school already, uh, prior to go to Brussels, because I was about 14, 15 years old, you know, and actually declined Brussels when I was 14 because I was in a small village called Trimbach, Alton. That's about half an hour outside of Zurich, okay? So Brussels was already calling me to go to the, the junior or the academy. And uh, <laughs> I simply said... Uh, no, I don't want. I want to be with my mates in my local little village. <laughs> and Russell was look at me and he said, "Is this guy mad?" Is the... <laughs> at, that t- at that time, Russell was Zurich. As, I don't know. It's just one of the, the biggest teams yeah, in yeah. Switzerland. What a record, a title winner in Switzerland. Everybody loved to be just joining that club. And I just say no. So, um, so before they say no, um, then with 15, obviously they're still insisted over the period of the last next couple of years and, and coming and coming. And then by 15, 16 years, then the, the Otmar Hitzfeld at that time, uh, yeah. my manager, 
Uh, so, we'll, well, you know, we need to have that youngster in our squad. And then that's why I then see it was a little bit, obviously, I matured a little bit more because from 14 to 16, <laughs> you go through a different phase and you have to yeah. realise grasshoppers is calling now. You have yeah. a potential good opportunity to be a professional. And and then, um, yeah, Mosvito had some one-to-one tests with him and some other players as well. And then I joined them as, uh, as, as a club. And it was a big fight because my mother didn't want to to start with because it was far away because I have oh, to go wow. on the train half an hour. My mother was saying, well, you need to have an education or to forget football, frankly saying. So it was a big fight between the club and my mother. But if I look back, <laughs> well, if I look back, I thank my mother because thankful Russell but accommodated me in doing an education like an apprenticeship. So if I look back, I wouldn't have anything of that. You just play football and that's it, simple as that. But I think uh, she insisted so much, you know, that if I sign for Brussels, but this has to be part of the contract. Well, one thing I'd really like to know is, what is football like in Switzerland? Is it the, the main sport of the country? Because for me, Switzerland is all about the Winter Olympics. I don't it seems That's what it seems <laughs> well, like on the outside. What is, well, what is it like? Well, actually, it's a good question because we changed that perception over the last 20 years now, or 30 years now, you know. When we when we joined, or when I joined the national team, that was pretty much after a year or two joining Russell. Because by 17, 18 years old, Roy Hobson was uh, my manager at that time. He already called me up for the national team. Uh, but Switzerland, as you just mentioned at that time, was not in on the map as a football country because first it was very small, so production of potentially good players are very limited. And as you mentioned, the main sport is. Uh, skiing or um, uh, hockey or any winter sports, you know. Um, but then with Roy Hobson, because he was one of the most successful managers uh, even today with Switzerland, qualified us for the 94 World Cup and those in 96. He put us completely different uh, 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 map in international football and suddenly Switzerland accepted that we have some quality players, hence a lot of cool quality players went out to, to play in England, like Stefan Honshaw, myself, uh, in Germany, Chapisa, uh, Stefan Chapisan, Alan Suter, Sforza, some very cool players, yeah. you know. We, we put pretty much the roadmap where actually Switzerland is today. If it's, yeah. you know, I think the other day, the under-21 just won against England. Let's not go into that. Let's not go into that. <laughs> well, I just uh, needed to mention that. It's very important, you know. Small in the Switzerland, you know. Big thing that, you know, the big nation of England, you know, is coming home. Yeah, maybe it's going away now. <laughs> <laughs> so, remember, we've established that English football was backwards by the time you came in, like, 97. But So yeah. you worked with Roy Hodgson yes. in, like, as the Swiss national manager. Yeah. So was Roy Hodgson ahead of his time in, like, the early 90s? Yes, very much, very much, very much. Um, in terms of, uh, he actually put a, a roadmap within the Swiss football as a maternity, as um, especially mentality, because we are Swiss football, we may thought be a small country. We are, well, how can we compete with the big Germans, the Swiss, the Dutch, or the English, you know? We're not producing that. And he put us really, and actually the Federation, a really good roadmap. The youngsters believe in the quality of the talent we had in, in our stuff. And he was a gentleman, first of all. And for an Englishman to speak all the languages, that was a rarity as well at the time. Yeah. Did they love him in Switzerland then, Roy Hodgson? Very much. He's a hero there. He's a legend. As a, as a manager, you just 
he sent out also the national team as well. He had also Samax as a as a manager and also Brussels for Zurich. So in Switzerland is enormous moments uh, uh, kind of a hero and and, and 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 legend because he actually put Swiss football on the map internationally. Yeah. The other manager you had there it, when you were playing in Switzerland mm. was Christian Gross. Uh, yes, yes. And mm-hmm. he so his um Reputation in England is based mainly on Spurs, but he was very successful in Switzerland. He won two league titles, Swiss Cup, and he was a big fitness guy, wasn't he, Christian Gross? Was what did his methods feel different from other managers he played under? Well, I had a cross office, and we were very successful. Okay, you know, mm. um, we won the leagues, the cup uh, in Switzerland, and Christian Gross is uh, was when it came to Spurs, as I mentioned before, the whole discipline. An attitude within the English footballer in terms of fitness and everything is well behind, you know, from David Lloyd's car, not having a fitness uh, 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 gym in, in terms of within your own facility. Well, he changed that. And for a lot of English players, that was so new. And to accept, actually, you need to have some discipline and some, some organisation with your own body, you know, that was completely new. And that some didn't accept it. They didn't like it, of course, because... They were free before and doing whatever they wanted to do it, you know. And so somebody come in and say, listen, this is what you have to do. That's what you have to eat. That's the way you have to train. And and he he was one of the foreign managers like Arsene Wenger and other ones who brought some knowledge and discipline within the English football. Where actually, English football gained a lot, even today, you know. What the kind of things you're saying that he brought in, what kind of, is there examples of that? And were, are those examples things where I go, well, that sounds common sense? What kind of things is he saying? I think it's the, 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 the awareness of looking after your body mm. was not existing within the English mentality as a player. Yeah. We, we were trained from youngster to do that. It was in our yeah. DNA, let's call it, okay? And, and, and as I mentioned previously on the, the programme, is when I came to England, for me, that was a shock in the system. They have 90% of the English players not even known or knew they have to look after themselves in a very disciplinary way and in terms of the fitness point of view, have a routine, and also from the diet, you know, not having just fish and chips and you name it, beer, without you being used to be drinking, you know, at that time, you know. That was a huge kind of change for English football and also an improvement. I wanted to talk about like your, your managers as I was looking at your list of managers you had some Christian Gross known for like getting the best out of teams physically and working you hard then you had George Graham as well but the guy who signed you for Tottenham was Jerry Francis exactly correct yeah absolutely so, yeah. <laughs> who, I, who I don't think has that reputation as a hard taskmaster no n- not at all that's when I joined exactly what I just mentioned to you that's my experience, first experience you know <laughs> a player comes 15 minutes before the, <laughs> the training says with a cup of tea and a biscuit you know and then and say hello mate I'm here I'm ready to do and you know warmed up done no rap nothing just put the shoes on and when that in some stage I even see he walks out with a cup of tea on the pitch from the tra- from the dressing room and I was like you goodness me if these guys were in Italy with the coaches were had were very super disciplined he would be not playing for the next two months as simple as that you know <laughs> it's just like it was the kind of a certain lari fari kind of attitude you know they call it but when they're training they were there they were just obviously enjoying the game and everything else but you can see on the long term 
there is no doubt there was missing something within the fitness and and, and, and the discipline within the team. And that's that's it's the day more important than ever. You know. Did you find yourself moving towards the English way, or did you manage to maintain your own standards? <laughs> Quite a uh, conservatively phrased question there. <laughs> I think after 25 years, I could consider myself a fish and chip person now. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 that's another story. I remember I was injured, and just to come back, you playing some of the reserve uh, team games, you know, just to get the fitness back. So after the game, <laughs> normally you get food uh, on the first team, you got some banana oranges, you know, some very healthy, uh, you know, after the game, you have to, you know, re- refill your, your 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 energy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get a piece of paper, newspaper, absolute dripping of oil, fish and chips in there. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. Smelling hell of the whole bus was smelling of that fish and chip, <laughs> and it was the oil was actually dripping below, and I could not believe I'm going to eat that, and I was so starving because after. 90 minutes, it actually so hungry. You, you eat anything. I was sick as a dog for two days after that. I'm telling you that. Oh. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no clue. So that, that shows you, and there was no care in, in terms of the diet side point of view in those days, you know. And that, of course, there were periods you were adapting. You need to adapt because you're a team member. But for me, they were look at me prior to the games that I came with my Swiss muesli, my yogurt, my banana, all that. And look at me, I was an alien. <laughs> I remember the Newcastle away game. I nearly was sick from the smell of the fry-up. They were eating a breakfast. I said, I can have a fry-up at three o'clock as a kick-off. <laughs> they were looking at me with my, my natural yogurt, my banana, my muesli. I had pulled action for me, you know. They were looking at me like an alien. Come on, what are you eating there? What is that? Where is that? <laughs> and that was just munching into that bacon beans. Oh, goodness me. It was smell. Even I think after even a hangover, you couldn't even eat that. There was so smelly. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the 90s, I would say, with English players as well. And for me, it was a totally new experience. And that was part of it, but I couldn't end that completely because you, you got for years used to that discipline of hot beating obviously properly, but uh, yeah, I tried a few times. You, you can see that, uh, yeah, the energy level goes down straight away because you, it's, you know. Did they have, um, they have like a set lunch you all have together, right? Before the, for the yes, match. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And also they have food in the dressing room. Cause like we were talking to someone yesterday about like when Ivano Benetti got hit by a chicken in the dressing room and you're like, I didn't know they had chicken in the dressing room. What kind of food was, like, kicking around in the dressing room? Oh, this is another one. <laughs> exactly. All this food at that time was so non diet <laughs> There was no energy bars in those days. Uh, uh, they just really started to come in, I think, so, like, of late, late 90s, I think, you know. Um, so there was some food at halftime. It was obviously sick even the smell, because the dressing room started to this. As you say, chicken just came out of the oven somewhere. <laughs> and he said, do we have lunch now? It's half time. We've got 15 minutes time. How can we eat chicken now? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, 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 it was very new for us foreigners at the time. Uh, you know, Jürgen Klinsmann, it was David Junior, myself. We were kind of 
uh, you know, I suppose we're not so many foreigners, so we only have about three or four max, you know. Mm. But we were looking at each other sometimes. This is unbelievable because obviously Jürgen Klinsmann come from the German way, attitude space with the Swiss, you know, the discipline, diet, and everything. And obviously the flamboyant David Tunola, you know, from the French side, you know. But that yeah. was also. And they had this this culture of and the DNA that growing uh, growing up in the in, as a youth academy that you actually look after your body and you got those who educated what you have to eat and how you prepare the, your your training session and things. And for them, that was also very new as well. And of course, uh, we had eyebrows all the time. It's a goodness me, how the hell these guys can actually train with these food? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's it's. Many experience, new experience, but I, I'm very glad I had this because then at the same time, it was very, I think the, the English players were so very open-minded in many ways. They had fun. They were, yeah, they had certain discipline, but at the same time, they still enjoyed the football, you know, as yeah. like a little kid in, in the backyard, you know. And I think that made it special because there were characters, some of them, you know, you, you can smell even on the warm-up that they were on a night out last night, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> warm-up the next to them, he said, goodness me, I'm going to get 10 yards back you, mate. I'll tell you what, you smell. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, you know, and you know this was a drinking culture as such in England anyway, because England is, has a drinking culture, you know. You can't uh, uh, avoid that, you know. But within the football players... I think it was uh, quite um, quite a lot at the time, you know. Did um, is it true that Ginola was smoking at that point? Oh yeah, he had all the time. He's fat. <laughs> even at like, even at <laughs> half time. I said, I, 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 I roommates with him. I could actually not sleep in the room because he smoked the whole room out, you know. So I need oh, to wow. take the mattresses and I went to the bathroom and slept there. <laughs> <laughs> so no, he had the fat all the time. Actually, even half time, and it's really. Uh, just uh, sat in the dressing room, just having well, a fight. No, 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 obviously no. If it's George Graham, he would just like get, get home, you know. But he got caught once, you know. He went into the toilet to the dressing room. And then suddenly, as you can imagine, there's no ventilator. A massive wave of the smoke is coming towards the dressing room. <laughs> How did he think he would get away with that? That's I remember, crazy. I remember the coach saying, who the F is that? And he said, and everybody guessed, and everybody knew who he's going to be, of course, you know. And he comes out, he comes out, a very French flamboyant. Was it? What's the problem? What's the problem? And everybody looked at him, the coach absolutely fuming, and said, what the hell are you smoking now? You need to go out in 10 minutes, you know. Uh, but that's the way it was at the time, you know, that, that in, a, in a way, as long as he performed, and he, sometimes he performed extremely well, of course, on the pitch, and it was great, enjoyable to watch it, you know. But, he, of course, he had his other flamboyant way of, uh, of, you know, doing and having a, a smoke, you know. Speaking of flamboyance, and when you when you signed for Jerry Francis, did you notice his hair? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he very... kept that hair. I mean, <laughs> people talk about it in the dressing room? Oh, no, not just that. At the beginning, I didn't get... Well, because obviously the first one, they're all Cockney language in the dressing room, okay? So all this kind of SD slash Cockney language. I couldn't understand one single word what they're saying, you know? Why is it under Swiss, naive, kind of English, kind of, yeah, not beginners, quite advanced, but English way learning in Switzerland, not the Cockney way, you know? <laughs> so so I couldn't understand one single word what they were saying to start with. But they were talking about the Barnet, and I say... <laughs> So, as you can imagine, Barnet in English language, for me, Barnet is in North London somewhere. So I went with the map. 
oh, Barnet, is he living in Barnet, Terry Francis? And then uh, Ian Walker <laughs> said, he's there, he's there, oh, so do Ian Walker, what, what, what's Barnet? What's the problem with the Barnet? Is he living there? Mate, that's not Barnet, the Barnet's your hair, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? How the heck can you call a hair Barnet? You know? And they say, so all of that for me was a new language, let's call it, okay? And, and it was it was fun to 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 learn new culture, new environment, uh, the English kind of way of humor as well, of course, and of, you know, and the Cockney language, you know, within the dressing room. So it's uh, yeah, it was new for us. Was, uh, for me personally, it was a great time. So getting reunited with Christian Gross, then Jerry Francis gets sacked. In comes Christian Gross. You're reunited, and he does this press conference where he pulls out the travel card and says, "This is the ticket to my dreams." And it, it kind of, it was ridiculed in the press. But was he ridiculed in the dressing room? What did the players say when he did that? Oh, I think he was uh, the start and the end of his career, the Spurs, to be honest. Listen, you need to understand what the Swiss cautious was. Swiss, they're very understated in terms of, they don't would like to show where, in terms of the cap- capitalism side. You know, they want to show they've got a fancy car and all that stuff. The less to show the better. That's the way the Swiss mentality works, okay? Obviously having the English slash US, we call it in this case, by England, having joked that he's coming with a Bentley or or, or thing, that's not the Swiss way. They, they want to come yeah. with the, the people I did you. So he thought he can translate the Swiss mentality into the English mentality where it's non-existing, especially at Spurs, at, at car park. I think the cheapest car was a Bentley <laughs> <laughs> at that time. And he goes with the tube. And he's like, how the hell a manager should come with the tube, you know, with a fan? So he would actually translate that obviously he's humble enough and understatement that he has part of the fans. And that didn't come across the way right. he wanted to, of course, you know. From that point of view, I think that was uh, his end of his career at Spurs, because <laughs> the perception of, of, of you know, uh, talking like that in, in, in Spurs, especially at that time, was uh, uh, not what they wanted to hear, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's different. It's different, you know. And all the players come to you and gone, because obviously you've played under him before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they all come to you and you were like, this guy's absolutely brilliant? Before oh, no, he... no, 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 not at all, mate. <laughs> 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 well, well, the first thing I heard, and, it, and this is like, Funny, yeah. Alan Sugar at that time was the, man, uh, the chairman. Did you have much dealings with Alan Sugar? Yeah, obviously my transfer to start with uh, yeah. from Italy, um, uh, and there afterwards as well. So uh, pretty much, uh, you know, on, you know, on a weekly week in week out, he was always there in the dressing room, talked quite a lot with him about the overall team, you know. But when when the crisis came in and I needed to have a new manager, then the day before Christian Cruz was appointed, I had no clue he was going to be appointed. So Alan Sugar calls me up at night and he said, Oi, Ramon. He said, yeah, Mr. Sugar. Well, I've got Christian Cross. What's he like? I think he was a good manager at Crosshoppers. Can he manage in England? I don't know. Well, it's be your, your new manager tomorrow. So what are you asking me then? It's <laughs> 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 me. He said, okay, oh, wow. So I'm already afraid. Then obviously they thought I appointed him because obviously the Swiss connection point of view, of course, yeah. you know. So all of that might come in place going forward, you know, but that's not, it didn't happen. And and of course, as I say, Chris and Cross bring, brought in a completely 
different approach how uh, the attitude and the discipline in the dressing room and you know the Gary Mappets, the old-fashioned English players were never, never, never dealt uh, that way. For them, they didn't like the way Christian Cruz was actually doing all that. And but obviously today, that's the norm. What Christian Cruz yeah. was doing at that time, it was not the norm. You know, it's an interesting dynamic because obviously, yeah, you're the the other Swiss person there. Did yes. he come to you and did he see you as a kind of ally? Well, it's difficult, but politically you have to make sure you're not like the little favour player yeah. or the manager. Yeah. So I need to have distance. Of course, uh, uh, it's obvious that the two Swiss guys are there. And also an assistant coach was there as well, Fritz Schmidt, in, at the time, at the beginning, you know. So, um, yeah, it, it came to me in terms of, uh, you know, with the players, you know, and, and ask and, and, and question me about all the players as well, of course, you know. So I, I yeah. needed to make sure that uh, I keep my distance I'm not too close you know because obviously the players might even come against you because that's the way it works you know you're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're the managed favour and, and and I say no I'm not I just want to be a team member simple as that you know and maybe preaching between the manager and you guys that's the only thing I can do but uh, yeah it was not easy at the beginning because obviously they thought immediately I'm the favourite player you know yeah yeah that's a weird one isn't it so Christian Gross goes, and then you get George Graham, who... <laughs> well, it, it was a fresh air, this one. Uh, I think George Graham was brilliant, uh, uh, saying they, you know, obviously for Spurs supporters, they didn't like it because it was awesome, you know. Yeah. But from my point of view, I didn't really care because he, he when he came in, uh, he really brought the back four. That means me, Sol Campbell, uh, Blake Justin, Edinburgh as well, and Stephen Carr. We really were a consistent and uh, good defence, and hence we yeah. won. We won within the League Cup in 929. You know, um, so he was actually, for my point of view, Spurs the best manager I had in terms of organisational and tactical uh, 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 as such. We he said from day one, he immediately say you you back four, you're going to train individually uh, separately uh, on a on a daily basis. And that's what we've done. Because that's the kind of thing they talk about, is him just drilling the back four. Yes. There's a rumour, which can't be true, of him at Arsenal getting a rope to tie the back four together in a line during training. Well, it's not a rumour. <laughs> it's the way it is, you know. It's, is that you know, what he did? Well, not just like that, uh, but very close, because the obviously in the back four, in your view, in room marking, you know, uh, you need to make sure you you your centre half is as close as possible with you together, because then you have a much better possibility to defend. The minute you you you've been brought apart, the whole team uh, comes apart, and the, the and the opponent has much more space to go penetrate you. So the closer you fall back four are together, the better the wall will be in the back. So that's why you actually train during the session, and that had really a huge impact on the game. We really understood each other blind there afterwards, you know. We knew, right, if I look right, so Campbell is there. And if so Campbell looks on the left-hand side, I was there. He knows if he misses something, I can back up, you know. And it was that kind of automation in terms of training that you blind uh, uh, trust each other and know each other. Yeah. And just like the players, you so that play, you won the League Cup in 99. And some of the players you played with at Tottenham were amazing. Obviously, you mentioned Klinsman, but, what you know, David Ginola, Tim mm-hmm. Sherwood. You had Les Ferdinand there and you saw Campbell in defence as well. So actually really big egos, but fantastic players in that dressing room. Oh, yeah, we had uh, 
absolutely fantastic team and players, very quality players. Uh, most are international, as you say, English international as well, who are playing against them at, at the Euro 96 as well, like the Teddy Sheringham, the Les Ferdinand, uh, Darren Anderton, um, and so on, you know. And then obviously on the on the international level, you've got Jürgen Klinsmann, top striker in the world, in the world. Uh, David Chinnell as well, best player at the year at the time in France as well. Well, that's absolutely quality player, but also character. That's the thing. The, the individuality of, of these these players were so charismatic in, in his own way, where I don't see that today in these young players. They may be extremely talented, the young players today, but the, the charisma is not the same like a, like a David Tunnelaar or, or potentially Eugen Klinsmann, or even a Les Ferdinand in this case, you know? Uh, and, and that really... Uh, uh, to be honest with you, that marked a little bit the 90s of the players uh, who were playing at that time. Another name that hasn't come up on this podcast is actually Jose Dominguez, <laughs> who I was insanely jealous of when Tottenham had him. I remember for a period of thinking he was one of the best players in the world. I, 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 he was uh, <laughs> absolutely... I'd just like to say I didn't okay that question. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, glad that you said that, mate. Uh, um... <laughs> I didn't say anything, no comment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tiny little jersey. He was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He was, I have to say, gosh, he was, I think, like you, a comedian in the same time, you know, as a player. <laughs> uh, but he was wimbling around on the left wing. He was fun. He was an entertainer, but not the consistent player. I think he was definitely a player you can, second half, last 30, 40 or 30 minutes or so, come in and really lift the crowd. And that's what Jose Domingo was actually all about, you know. So can I just ask, are you going to go on record as saying he wasn't the best player in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, between mates and players, we don't really, you know, we don't complain about if they're good or not. We just don't say anything, no comments. It's better, mate. <laughs> Keep it like that, mate. <laughs> Another player that was in that Spurs squad was Hans Sagers. Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah, did great. you know that he had a business selling uh, his own branded ties. No, actually, I had no clue about this. <laughs> no, really? Oh, yeah, so if you people email in that there was a brand of ties called Hans Sager's Ties that were football-themed ties. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he oh, obviously God. by that point... <laughs> oh, I didn't get a free tie at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I would let you know if they're good or not, you know. But I had no clue it was having. Oh, goodness me, ties! How the heck did he go into the tie business? Oh, goodness me! Oh, gosh. Um, so the the high watermark of your time with Spurs is winning the League Cup in '99. But the thing is, you had a stress fracture yes. on your ankle, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And you played through that final on painkillers. But it kind of that injury kind of did for you at Spurs, really, didn't yeah. it? Well, is that fair? Well, very much. You know, I was pretty much on the edge of the career ending. Let's call it in stupidly uh, saying. If I look back now, all right, I think. Prior to, to the League Cup final, um, and we had a fantastic run with Spurs. Uh, we were about 11 games in a row. We actually conceded only about two goals and with the back four. So with defensive line, we were really kind of really uh, going for it. We were also already in the in the quarters and the semifinals of the FA Cup as well. And, and then obviously qualified for the finals. So we really like, you know, either one of the Cups we're going to win, okay? But prior to that, two weeks before my uh, stress fracture was already there. 
So I played two weeks prior to the final already with that, without knowing it, obviously with major pain. But also the whole uh, kind of winning potentially and being the final at Wembley, I said, no way now, after all these work and playing the quarters, the semifinals and qualifying the final, I'm going to miss now these. No way. Yeah. In my mind, it's yeah. not even a question, especially if I look back now, actually it's quite unique to win a league cup for Spurs at the time, you know, because obviously at that time it was for, I think more than 10 years, I didn't want anything. And then suddenly I can be potentially one of the winners on that game. And because of injury, I don't want to miss it. So I went through a major, major painkillers. I'll tell you what, it, it was absolutely an agony. But it's just my mentality, it's just I didn't want to miss that game. So the final itself, the night before, I couldn't sleep one minute, first of all. First of all, I was obviously nervous because of the final. Number two is what happened within 10, 15 minutes into the game. It really, my flashbacks was getting worse when I have to go replace. I let down everybody just because I wanted to be part of it, you know, all of that, you know. So all of that went through my mind before the game, and it was like quite stressful, to be honest with you, if I look back, but also stupidly. And you do letting people know that you're stressed, well, like you. It, well, you, could, you couldn't at that time in those days. It was not like, oh, listen, you like you have to man up, some kind of scenario. You know, you don't have somebody to talk. Oh, listen, I got this. I got. He used to have Stefan Freund, who at that time was playing with us. He says, "You chairman way, go for it. Here's a tablet. Here's a painkiller. Got to find it." <laughs> <laughs> You know, like really determined, you know, go, go, go for it. You know, so, okay, okay, I'll okay, do it, you know. And and looking back, once you was in that game and then walking up that famous tunnel at Wembley, the old stadium, you know, your mind is on a set, it's a completely different planet. And just walking out that tunnel and 80,000 watching the, 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 the whole atmosphere, the, the bus you, you're getting through, through your mind and body, you actually forget you have a major injury. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. The adrenaline how, of the occasion. Yeah, the adrenaline, how much the mind can actually play with you with the pain. But uh, after 60 minutes, that's where I really started the pain coming. Because oh. it really is like, wow, I can't do that anymore. And we've seen on a, on a I think it was near nil, and I think about last 70, 80 minutes or something, Alan Nielsen scored. And I was for me, it was like something came down completely. It was painful the last five minutes oh. completely uh, and then next day i needed to go to the swiss national team to the doctor so i fly into switzerland so i said well i got to final we won the league blah, 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 cup and everything else all kind of bussing of course going to do the scan the results come back straight away and the swiss doctor said to me ramon it was very silent and it's what is it tell me doctor i thought something bad's going up it's definitely going to come up now well, you are absolutely crazy. You are, he had a stress fracture and an ankle broken, and it's been broken for more than three weeks. Said something yesterday. Oh, wow. Been three weeks we've been playing with that. And to be honest with you, I don't know if this is going to be healing back in the next six weeks, if you're lucky. Oh, my word. Wow. So, from the up and major ads really winning the League Cup the day before yeah. and having absolutely buzz, oh, fantastic. You know, everybody's calling you, congratulating you on it different level absolutely shattered in one second oh, i thought my man. whole career was gone in one in one minute so i was hoping for six weeks that out because you need to make sure if the, the bones heals together lucky enough he actually done it uh, at the time but at that time i thought the whole career was finished and i was not even 28 29 years oh. old at the time you know 
That's mad. So yeah, so that was, and, and I look back, yes, I was potentially maybe a little bit stupid to go into it because obviously I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't want to acknowledge. Yeah. Uh, and, and really potentially even yeah, break your whole career because you potentially had another three to six or four years of playing, if you're healthy, of course, you know, um, and, and, and go through, do that to your body. But at the end of the day, if I look back now, I can talk about it when I have a medal, where it's first for having a medal is a rarity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know yeah. what? We've, we've spoken to some Spurs players. Or with Jamie Redknapp, he hasn't got a medal, has he? From Spurs. Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. He's not a Spurs player. I've got one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're playing, whoever you're playing for, the only thing is in talk about your career is not how many caps you potentially played, it's what medals you actually have. And that's the legacy that stays forever. Ferdinand in the corner, and that's where he'll want to keep the ball. He won't care where he goes. He's gone out for a goal kick. But one place you won a lot of medals was Celtic. Is that the fondest period of your career? Yes, if you look back that, that was a good question. After having these, obviously, tremendous experience winning the League Cup, but then having that major downside of having a huge injury, or potentially my, not knowing if I come back, it took me nearly nine months to come back off that injury. It was a huge lift for me. You were joining in such a massive club like Celtic Glasgow. And great characters, the Chris Sutton's, Alan Thompson. What's Chris uh, Sutton? Neil Ellen. You say Chris Sutton's a great character. He's now a pundit in the UK, yeah. in England. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he is scary. He seems <laughs> yeah, scary. Well, well he, he was already that, that dressing like that. He's a very outspoken guy. He, yeah. he takes to make you kind of, when the dressing room was there, we were, even on a joint Celtic, he was already trying to take the making of you at the dressing room within one hour, frankly yeah. saying, you know. Uh, but he's a great guy, a fantastic guy on top of that. But he, he, he's a you know, smart guy, I would say, as well, you know. And, yeah, he, he's, he's a character. And, and we had some great characters, I think. Lee Lennon, uh, Paul Lambert, obviously the, the legend Hen- Henrik Larsson in the front. It's a really good you know. team, actually, isn't it? It's a oh, really it's strong a fantastic, team. Fantastic. And... And again, it's it's, it's some of the the, the the things in the career. I think I look back. I I joined them on a Friday night. Uh, on the Saturday was a game against Aberdeen, and I, I'm not even trained one minute with them. I just joined them straight to the hotel where they before the game they're staying. You know, not having. I don't even knew all the names. Frankly saying, <laughs> I thought that's it. I'm not going to go to the first game. I might be on the bench because I never trained. With the, with the lads, you know, don't even know the names. Some of them, yes, some not, you know. So arrived Martin O'Neill, arrived to Celtic Park, where it's an unbelievable experience, Celtic Park. The Celtic fans is a different level. It's, it's just goosebumps just talking about it. And when you're playing with these support, it's a different level. I think it's one of the best, I would say, in, in the world in terms of support, the passion. It's, it's beyond of that. And again, coming back to the first game, I... Joined them, thought, no way I'm going to play in my mind. 
It's impossible. I didn't train with them. It's, it's, how can I do that? You know? So half about an hour before, Martina comes in, and then as usual, he just puts the list who's playing, and my name is up. And I went to Martin, are you sure? What, what do you think I brought you here? <laughs> to watch the game? What? <laughs> well, I don't even know the guys. And then suddenly, an hour of preparation mentally, my mind, took it all the mates, um, or future mates in this case. I don't even know the names. I need to focus my, my centre-half partner. Who is his name? Who is it? How is he playing? And I'll tell you what, I went into, within 10 minutes, I was like, part of that, of that team for the last four years. Within 20 minutes, I, I scored the first goal. Within 30 minutes, I scored two goals <laughs> on my first debut. Amazing. Wow. So pretty much my, my, my start at Celtic was done. That's it. Simple as that. Nothing else can actually uh, take me away from <laughs> that, you know. Uh, and it was the best time ever, I would say. In my career, I think it's definitely one of the biggest highlights uh, in my career. Up goes Ramon Vega. There he is! What a start! He made it clear as he wandered forward, Ramon Vega, that he wanted the ball played to him, drifted away from his marker, and as easy as you like. He's only been a Celtic player for 18 minutes in terms of on-field action, and this is his first goal for the club. What was Martin O'Neill like? Was he nice? Was he scary? No, I, I think no. Really, to be honest, with you he's he was not a typical manager. It's during the week he's on on the training ground. There was Steve Walford and uh, Robson. They 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 were kind of players manager playing with us. But ha- oh, so you didn't really see him during fun. the week. So yeah, he just came on Friday, stands there, looks at him, and then buggers off a little bit, and then that's it. Uh, on Saturday, he's there and just puts the team up and talks about, obviously, uh, the other thing. So he was not the hands-on kind of manager on the day-to-day. Day day. Uh, he was more kind of psychological side point of view, goes into the players, make sure the players are up to date with uh, what he wants to have on the page. And again, these players were all kind of very experienced players, and, and, and the mentality was, like, self-efficient. You don't have to tell them too much. They know what they have to do. Yeah. Another great Celtic goal scorer, aside from yourself, was, of course, Henrik Larsson. I think in the season you were there, he got 53 goals in all competitions in a single season. What was oh, it? Yeah, yeah. it, it I mean, was how, good was, how good was he? Oh, he's the top striker uh, in Europe, and, and even in that time. Great finisher. Uh, he had the instinct uh, as a finisher. It was beyond all the strikers I... I played with or play against especially in the Serie A so obviously it does obviously Ronaldo is a different level again because he, he brings skills and speed and intuitive way of uh, scoring but Henry Gloss the instinct of in the 18 yards box or around it he was beyond in the finisher he was a different planet absolutely it was for me it was an honor actually play with him and not against him to be honest with you do you think he was um, better than Jose Dominguez Chris <laughs> <Ross>? <laughs> <laughs> Would you put him in that bracket? You, 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 you're, you're testing Christopher's knowledge now, isn't it? <laughs> Don't embarrass him now. You know what I mean? How do you think that Celtic team would have done in the Premier League? With uh, the team we had at the yeah. time? Uh, I confidently would be saying top four. Really? Yeah. We, 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 I think we, we would definitely 
be competing with the top four. Because if you see that team, our left afterwards, they were into the Champions League and they were beating Barcelona, yeah. Juventus in the following year. Actually, they went to the finals uh, at Sevilla and play against Porto and lost against them, you know. So yeah. the team was extremely strong. Yeah. There's no doubt. So, yeah, if, if you ask me, yeah, we will be the top four in Premier League. So look, we have a feature on the show called Do I Remember This Right? Where we're, we're basically we try and address rumours that listeners have heard or things they think they remember. And what, so we've had, got a couple here. The first one, did you used to co-own a jewellery shop in Rumford called Ministry of Gold? <laughs> of course. That's true. <laughs> I, that's what, of course. Well, it was my job. What? <laughs> <laughs> you were working in there? No, I was uh, not working there, but it was my shop, you know. It was, uh, it was one of my first kind of English uh, first investments we got into in the jewellery, you know, uh, uh, and, and watch in uh, uh, industry, you know, completely new. And, and Romford uh, had good on the high street, I think, was it? It was a good location at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, my uh, previous business partner, he, uh, he was in the jewellery uh, kind of business. And, um, yeah. That was my first experience. The whole jewelry industry, I think, with this year. We're watching the watch, Swiss watch, of course. So all the all oh, the yes, first place at home were buying my yes. my kind of Swiss watches from the Rolexes and everything. So before Christmas, uh, I make like kind of a sales pitch to all the players. <laughs> uh, so that makes us buying the jewelry, diamonds, <laughs> whatever they want to do it. Uh, so it was a little bit of a side business at the time. Good experience, I have to be honest. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's when you'd have thought Hans Sagers would have mentioned his ties. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the moment when you think he's got to bring it up at this stage, doesn't he? Absolutely. That's why I thought he was coming up. Let's do a little mini market, you know, at the training ground. You know, you, 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 you selling tyres, selling some watches, two for one kind of scenario, discount for the players, you know, and, and then go on for it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. And then, it, uh, yeah, it was good. And another listener swears that he went as a child to a, a Ramon Vega soccer school in Marbella. Yeah. True? <laughs> I, I don't know if he if, if was there, but I'll definitely, I, was, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was definitely I was definitely there because that's why after retirement, um, I was down in Marbella in most of the time, and there was no soccer schools whatsoever at that time in Marbella. And I think this is, you know, these these kids who were holidaying here, they need to train or play at least during the day and then set it up a soccer school with them and it was good i had it for about good three years we had about good 1500 uh, kids going through there to school uh, sure it was good good fun now we always end with the same question about the 90s chris would you like to end with yeah. the uh our final question ramon if i gave you the opportunity to go back to the first of january 1990 and do it all over again would you yes not even a question mark absolutely absolutely uh but I think the 90s was very special in terms of enormous quality players in one moment, you know, not just one year or two years. It was for 10 years, really kind of enormous, a major list of big players were playing in, in different top leagues, you know, where you don't have that today, to yeah. be honest with you. Uh, we're still talking about Messi and Ronaldo. In the 90s, we had about 20 of these players. And they're all smoking. <laughs> oh, smoking. Eat oily God, fish whatever. and chips. Diego Maradona, <laughs> obviously a different level, of course, you know. I mean, the credit card lines, you know. <laughs> so, but 
these characters and quality of fundamental uh, playing, they're not there, it's not being produced. And this is coming back to this exactly comment I was just saying before, the grassroots level point of view, it's been more and more neglected. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Ramon. Yeah. Uh, I Genuinely, you talk to people, it's amazing just to talk to someone who's got clearly such fond memories and kind of speaks so kind of positively about what an experience, what an amazing experience your career must have been. So thank you for that. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're more than welcome. Absolutely more than Pleasure. And it's always nice to hear a little more about Jose Dominguez. <laughs> <Always nice. laughs> Before we go, normally we do a quiz here. We've been sent a quiz, so I'd like you two to play it. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. If you've got your own 90s football quiz, do send them in. This is from Ian Hughes of Liverpool. So you're going head-to-head, guys. Thought I'd share a little game involving 90s footballers that I would play with a former flatmate. The game basically involved naming players who, for every reason, are synonymous with having a moustache. Essentially started when I saw a picture of Ian Rush without one, and our brains simply couldn't compete uh, his trademark facial hair. From this, we began naming players who we think should have a moustache, followed by the question, Muzzy is it? As in moustache, <laughs> is it should they have a moustache? Uh, this would often confuse the hell out of people sitting near us in the pub as we seem to only be babbling on 90s football players without using any other words. So the conversation would go, John Walk, Muzzy is it? Yes. David Seaman, Muzzy is it? Yes. Rudy Voller, Muzzy is it? Yes. Dion Dublin, Muzzy is it? No. <laughs> So the way I'm going to play it is you two play Muzzy, is it? And I'll say yes, and it's the first one who I say no to. Okay? Yeah. So you need to say a player followed by the word Muzzy, is it? And I'll say yes. First person to leave two, lose two lives is out. Chris, begin. So we're just naming players from the 90s who had a moustache. Who you think, yeah, you picked with a moustache. Okay, Graham Souness. Then you've got to say it. Muzzy, is it? Yes. Uh, so, do I? Am I looking for a yes answer? Is that the rules? Yeah, you're looking for a yes answer. They don't have to. They could be eighties as well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> or two thousand. They could be anywhere from there. Okay. Uh, anywhere. Old present day. Okay. R- Rudy Volamazzi is it? Yes. Um. Uh, John Mork. Go on. Say it. Muzzy is it? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'll get the hang of this in a minute. Uh, David Seaman. Muzzy is it? Yes. Oh, Loro, Muzzy, is it? Yes. <laughs> uh, Philippe Albert, Muzzy, is it? Yes. Um, I'm going to have to start rushing you in a minute. Okay, uh, Neville Southall, Muzzy, is it? Yes. Uh, the beards count, or is it just moustaches? Just moustaches. Um, uh... <laughs> God, it's hard when you're on the spot. Um... Three, two... One life lost for Michael. Uh, Chris, back to you. Um, J- Jimmy Greaves, Muzzy, is it? Oh, yes. Come on, how far back? What the fuck, <laughs> mate? He's one of the faces of nineties football. You can go as telly. far back as you want, Michael. Okay, fucking Herbert Chapman, Muzzy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't have a moustache, did he? Uh, Socrates, Muzzy, is it? Yes, yes, I'm taking it. <laughs> have we said uh, David Seaman, Muzzy, is it? Yeah, we have. Oh, um, have we had Ian Rush, Muzzy, is it? No. Muzzy, Ian Rush, Muzzy, is it? Yeah. Can I just say, Ian Rush is another man who shaved his moustache off and he still doesn't look right without oh, it. Yeah. 
You're destroying your own brand. Yeah, totally. I don't know how much the Inrush brand is worth in 2021. But... <laughs> Michael, are you out? I think Three, I'm. I think I'm out. Yeah. Oh. The only ones I could think of were John Aldridge, Muzzy, is it? And Alison, Muzzy, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was refusing to go too far outside the 90s remit. Yeah, fair enough. There was one. Um, when I try to think of 90s footballers and moustaches, there's one player who played for QPR. I think he was like oh, a right back. Gary Penrice. Gary Penrice. Is that who I'm thinking of? Email in. You must see, is it? Chris, how yes, would you like Gary to end, end Gary the show? Penrice. Can, I, can we end the show with, um, I think I'm trying to think of famous pop stars with uh, notable moustaches, uh, Freddie Mercury, and Don't Stop Me Now. Robbie Slater. See you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.